As Pastor Mark said, I've been here uh, almost three years. I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, and you know how I know that uh, I haven't been here long enough. Um, for Over New Year's, my family and I, we decided uh, to find someplace colder with more snow uh, than Wichita, Kansas. So uh, over New Year's, we decided to go to... Uh, Colorado uh, to go skiing. So we're in Colorado um, and I find myself locked in on skis on top of the tallest mountain I've ever been on at a little over 13,000 feet. And there's a couple of things you should know about me. Growing up in Atlanta, uh, what that meant was when I learned to ski in middle school, I didn't learn to ski on the big real mountains of Colorado. I learned to ski on these little bitty hills in North Carolina and West Virginia. And then uh, to make matters even better, I, I went about 15 years from middle school when I'd skied a few times uh, to last year when I picked up skiing again. And it was like going uh, from the little leagues to the big leagues uh, with no experience to prove that I should be there. So I find myself on top of this mountain in Colorado over New Year's uh, with my two brothers-in-law. Um, and as many of you skiers and snowboarders know, in order to get to the top of the mountain, you have to take ski lifts. And there are big ski lifts, and they go to the beginner and intermediate slopes, and then there are small ski lifts that go to the top of the mountain. Um, and I realized very quickly why the ski lift we got on was so small. But we got on it uh, because uh, it said that it serviced uh, blue and black slopes slopes, and uh, even though I shouldn't be skiing blues, I was, and uh, I, so we hopped on the ski lift knowing that as long as there's one blue, uh, we can make it down the mountain. So we get up to the top of the mountain, and we realize why there was nobody on this ski lift, um, and that's because there was one blue, and uh, that blue was one of those really should have been a black kind of blues. Um, it was one of those where I just got to the top, and I stood there, and I looked down, and I was just crying on the inside uh, because this was the steepest, narrowest blue I had ever seen. And I knew uh, what was going to happen next was not uh, going to be real good. So my two brothers-in-law uh, are excellent skiers. And so they kindly said, Andy, you go first. Um, so uh, I inch off the edge um, and I start skiing down and I'm not good at turning. Uh, so I'm trying to do some combination of turning and pizzaing and trying to slow myself down. And I'm picking up a lot of speed that I don't like. And I get about a fifth of the way down this slope and I just told the slope that I quit. Has anybody ever done that? Um, it, it really wasn't a fall or a wreck. It was more of just, I kind of laid down. Um, and what was really funny, and I'm sure there's a YouTube video somewhere uh, of this, but uh, the, steep, the slope was so steep that I proceeded to slide the other four-fifths of the way down the slope on my belly. Um, <laughs> And uh, it's one way to get down. Um, but I share that story with you because I know with 100% certainty that I would not have been at the top of the mountain experiencing the amazing things I got to experience uh, without the two people that I was with. They were people that were excellent skiers that I trusted completely. And we're in a series called Healthy, where as Pastor Mark said, uh, we're looking at how our world expands when we're healthy. And we're looking at what the Bible has to say, what God has to say about different areas of our life and how we can live our best life in those areas. And so today we're looking at relational health and the title of our talk is Our Best Life is a connected life. And I have to give this disclaimer because as the group's pastor, you got to think maybe 
I should have this figured out. But the reality is I don't. This is something I really struggle with, um, the area of friendships and healthy relationships, because they're hard. I think a lot of us have experienced how difficult relationships are to get right and then to keep right. Um, But they're hard. I struggle with it. I tell my wife all the time, I just feel like a terrible friend. Um, So in order to lay the foundation for where we're going uh, today, we have to start with some bad news um, because the reality is that there are many of us that are facing mountains today. Many of us are facing mountains and they're not the skiing kind. Maybe that mountain for you is the job that you hate or that drives you crazy that you have to keep going to because you know you need to clock that time card and and get the money so that you can pay bills and take care of business, Uh, but it drives you crazy. Maybe the mountain for you is a health diagnosis you got recently that you weren't supposed to get because you're gluten-free, you eat healthy, you eat your fruits and vegetables every day, and you exercise uh, several times a week, but yet the test came back and it still came back positive. Maybe that mountain for you is uh, financial struggles as we're approaching tax season, or maybe it's the recent death of a loved one. And whether we're standing at the bottom of a mountain that we know we have to climb up and it's gonna be difficult, or we're standing at the top of the mountain like I was, knowing that there's only one way down and that it's probably gonna be messy. A lot of us are facing these mountains and we're facing them alone. We're facing them on our own. And we've been saying that being healthy expands our worlds, but the reality is being lonely shrinks everything, doesn't it? Many of us know that feeling when we feel alone, where things that didn't used to worry us suddenly feel like the end of the world, and we're not sure where to turn, and we start to become depressed, and we're not sure who to trust and and where hope lies. Feeling alone can feel like it cripples us. Um, But maybe the good news and the bad news is this. You are not alone in your struggle with loneliness, and neither Am I? There was a recent study done last year by a healthcare company, and they were wanting to look at how loneliness affects life. And they surveyed 20,000 people. And there are two statistics that I want to share with you. The first statistic is this 43%, 43% of the 20,000 people surveyed said that their relationships were not meaningful and that they felt isolated from other people. 43%. And then the next statistic is maybe even more troubling, and that's this. 39% of the 20,000 said that they are no longer close to anyone. No longer close to anyone. And to put that in perspective, what that means is if you look around you, two of the five people around you um, have struggled with or maybe currently are struggling with extreme feelings of loneliness. And beyond that, the more we learn about loneliness, the more we learn about how it affects all of life. I want to read this quote from the Washington Post. It says this about loneliness. There's a growing consensus that loneliness, not obesity, cancer, or heart disease, is the nation's number one health crisis. Persistent loneliness reduces the average longevity of life more than twice as much as heavy drinking and more than three times as much as obesity. Research demonstrates that loneliness is as physically dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day and contributes to cognitive decline, especially uh, diseases such as Alzheimer's or dementia. So if we want to be healthy, we've got to address loneliness. And loneliness is is where a lot of us are. So now we've kind of laid some bad news out before us. Let's take a look at some good news. The good news is that even before God was done creating the universe, he makes this incredible statement in Genesis 2. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. 
Now, I know this has been in every wedding ceremony since the beginning of time, but this is not just about a man and a wife. This is a statement about humanity. What God is saying as creator, as designer is this, that he has created and designed a better life for you and I. And because he's the creator and the designer, what that means is we can't live our best life unless we're living it the way that we, he designed for us to live it. And this is true, right? When I think about my life, I think about the best moments of my life. I think about great experiences I had, I, great places that I've gotten to travel around the world. What sticks out to me from those memories is not the places or the experiences, but the faces of the people that I was with. And that if you were to strip away those people from those experiences, my life would feel very empty. So I know just from feeling that God has designed me for something different than the loneliness that I can so often feel. So we need to ask the question, if our best life is a connected life, what does this look like? And if you don't take anything else away from today's talk, I want you to take this away. And that's this, only connected things grow. Only connected things grow. This is a a principle that we find in the Bible, but this is also a principle that's true of all of life. You don't look around and see disconnected things growing. Everything that grows is part of a system. If we look at this plant, if this was a real plant, um, what would it need to grow? What would this plant need to grow? It would need a lot of things, uh, and I'm just going to name a few, but it would need uh, good soil, it would need access to sunlight and air. It would need water on its leaves and also at its roots. It would need space for its roots to expand deep and wide or it would experience root rot. And it would need time to go from the small seed that it starts out as uh, in order, into the big plant that it would become. What happens if I remove any one of those things? Not all of them. Just one. What happens if I remove that? Well, it'll grow for a little while, but then eventually it will die ahead of its time. Because if I remove the connection, remove the connection from the things that it was designed to need, then the growth will stop. So knowing that only connected things grow, we need to ask the question, who do we need to be connected to? Just like this plant, We were designed to be connected to certain things. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, put first things first, and the second things, they're thrown in. Put second things first, and you lose both the first and the second things. So we're not going to be able to spend a lot of time on the very first thing we need to be connected to, but we can't go uh, forward without saying this. We need to be connected to God first. And if you would like more information on spiritual health and how to uh, live a spiritually healthy life, Pastor Mark has done two great messages in this series that I'd encourage you to go take a look at. But we need to be connected to God first. And Jesus makes this very clear in John chapter 15. He says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying what we all know to be true. He's saying God is the source of life just as the vine or the tree trunk uh, is the source of life for a branch and that if a branch is disconnected from the vine, uh, it will slowly die and rot and become nothing more than firewood. 
Jesus is saying, we need to be connected to God first. So before we can ever look at getting relational health right, we have, need to understand we need to be connected to God first. The second thing we need to be connected to is we need to be connected to the right friends. And we need to ask the question here, what happens when we're connected to the wrong friends, to the wrong people? Because for many of us, that has been our experience or that may currently be our experience. Well, being connected to the wrong people is very much like having a tumor connected to my body. Uh, What happens is as long as that tumor is connected to my body, it will slowly eat away at the nearest healthy organs and the healthy cells, and it will spread throughout my body until either it's disconnected from my body or it consumes all of my life. And the wrong people in our life can feel a lot like a tumor because they're gonna take us to a place that nobody wants to go. I love this quote from a pastor who said, for some of us, the friends we have are keeping us from the life we want. Put that another way, for some of us, there's a disconnect between our life goals and our friends. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. I love this verse because what it's saying is if we want to be wise, we need to walk with the wise. But the reality is there are some of us that we want to be wise, but we're walking with fools today. And that's just not possible. The reality is that when we make friends, our friends will start to shape who we are. I grew up uh, being homeschooled second uh, through eighth grade. Any homeschool and proud in the house? Yeah? Few people. Awesome. Um, so I, probably, I said at, as I was approaching high school, I knew I wanted to go to a, a public university for college. And so I said what a lot of homeschool kids have probably said, which is I told my parents, I need to experience the real world. Um, I need to get out of our house and I need to experience the real world. So I went into public high school and as a introverted, quiet homeschooler, the first few years of high school were pretty rough for me. Um, And I was connected to a few of the right people, uh, but mostly a lot of the wrong people because I was insecure and I was just looking and grabbing onto anybody who would accept me. And quick side note, if there's anybody in the room like I was, um, I was telling myself, hey, Andy, you're a good Christian. You've got a strong character. You're actually gonna help these bad people, these bad friends in your life, and you're gonna pull them up. They're not gonna pull you down. Um, And for any of us that are in that boat, um, and maybe you might be there today, you're in a relationship uh, that you know is not leading you uh, to the right place. I wish I had heard this um, as a teenager. The Apostle Paul says, do not be misled. I needed to hear that. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character every time. So my high school experience came uh, all to a culminating head uh, as I was approaching graduation and I was in the mountains of North Carolina at a uh, summer church camp. And I remember we had just finished with the worship service that evening and I was walking back along uh, this little stream uh, to the cabin where I was staying and I was praying. I was praying because I didn't like my life. I didn't like where I was heading. I didn't like the friends I had. I knew I wasn't living up to the potential that God had placed inside of me. And I've never heard God audibly speak to me, uh, but that moment was the clearest I've ever heard him speak to me. He stopped me in my tracks right beside that stream and he said, Andy, you can have the world and you can have those friends or you can have me 
and you can have everything I want for you, the future that I've planned for you. But Andy, he said, you can't have both. He said, Andy, you have to choose. And it was like he had hit me with a hard basketball pass and the ball was in my court and he was saying, Andy, you have to make a choice. And so for some of us today, we may be in a place where before we can even look at uh, building friendships with the right people, we need to deal with some of the wrong relationships that are leading us to a place we don't need to go. And for me, guys, that was the turning point in my life because I started the slow, painful process of disconnecting myself from the relationships I had spent all of high school developing that were leading me to the wrong place. And I started disconnecting myself from those people. And as I did that, God reminded me of the right people, the right relationships that he had placed in my life already. And then God began the process of slowly bringing more of those right people around me. And here's the thing, those people ended up shaping the trajectory of my life. And so today, maybe there's somebody in the room that feels like it's too late, that you've invested too much in a bad relationship. And I want you to hear it's never too late to change, that today could be the day where your trajectory changes and you start to disconnect yourself from the unhealthy relationships in your life and get connected to those healthy relationships. So I think the question that a lot of us have is, where are these right people? How do we find these right people, these right friends in our lives, because they can kind of feel like maybe the unicorn in the forest. Um, And this is a great question, and the reality is each of our lives looks different. Each of us is surrounded by a different group of people, and so I can't provide a one-size-fits-all answer of how to do this. So what I wanna give you are some lenses that have helped me to evaluate my life, and these lenses are come in the form of questions. These will help guide us to the place where we are ready to look for the right friends. And the first question we need to ask ourselves is this, am I spending time around people that I want to be like? And that may seem like a simple question, but for some of us, the answer is maybe or no. Actually, we're not spending time around people that we want to be like. It goes back to that quote we heard earlier. Sometimes the life we want is being kept from us because of the friends we have. Um, Psalm 1 says this, Oh, the joys of those that do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. Another word for law would just be the word of God. Meditating on that word day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. I love that because this this passage paints a picture of two different types of people. There are those that stand around with sinners in the wrong way of life, and then there are those that are delighting in the law or the word of God. And those people, they're like a tree planted by the stream. And man, I wanna be someone where my leaves never wither and I prosper in all that I do. And so we see these two different types of people and the only difference between them is this, where they placed their roots. Where were their roots? And so that challenges me to ask the question of myself And I'll encourage you to ask this question of yourself. Where are your roots? Where are my roots? Where am I spending my time? Where am I investing? Because where I plant myself, 
matters a great deal in who my relationships are with. So that's the first question. Am I spending time around people that I want to be like? The second question we need to ask ourselves is this. Am I becoming the kind of friend that I want to have? 1 John 1.7 says this. If we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And this one is a hard one for me because it reminds me of all the times in my life where I knew the right thing that I needed to do, the right step that I needed to take, but I wasn't willing to do it. And so God wasn't able to do what he wanted. And this reminds me of yesterday morning, I've got an almost two-year-old and he is becoming very feisty as any parents in the room know that age group does. And he's so sweet most of the time, but meals have become a, a war. Um, and we're sitting at breakfast yesterday morning, and um, we're trying to get him to eat his protein. We've just got a couple sausages, which last week he loved, and this week he decides he hates. So uh, I don't know if any parents are familiar with that. So my wife and I tried the tried and true method that I'm sure many of you have done, which is we tried to bribe him. I don't know if any of you have done that. Um, We tried to bribe him. So he's sitting in his high chair with this little sausage cut up right in front of him. And then on the kitchen island, we've got a nicely cut kiwi because uh, my son is a fruititarian. He wants to eat all things fruit and nothing else. So we've got this kiwi in sight and we're just, because it's really hard to communicate with a two-year-old, we're pointing at the kiwi and then we're pointing at the sausage and we're saying, eat the sausage and then you can have the kiwi. And he is just screaming at the top of his lungs because he wants to eat this kiwi without eating the sausage. And as we're going through this long 30-minute ordeal before he'll even take a bite, it just kind of hits me as I'm thinking about this talk, that I'm like that a lot in my life, that I want the kiwi, but I'm not willing to do what's right in front of me that I know I need to do in order to get it. And so we need to ask the question, are we becoming the kind of friend that we want to have? Because how I live my life matters with who my friends are. And these questions aren't the answer, but they will get us started down a path of discovering these right people and knowing where to look. And I would also be remiss to not say that since you're sitting in church this morning, that looking in church, looking in the row of people that you sit next to every week or the people that you volunteer with or that you see when you pick up your kids, looking there to find your right friends, uh, that would be a good place to start. Uh, We believe in small groups so much at New Spring. I love this because I can go over to Adventure Avenue and I can look through that fog glass at my uh, three-year-old and he'll be sitting in a small group on a little mat, a circle of three or four of his little friends uh, and they'll be a small group leader. And he's learning at age three what it means to have people around him that help discuss what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and how to grow in his faith. And we don't believe that small groups should stop at three. They continue on through elementary and middle and high school and young adult and into adulthood. I like to say we need the right friends in our lives from birth to death. Um, And that's because there's never a point in our lives where we're so mature, where I'm so advanced, that I don't need the right people encouraging me and challenging me and speaking into my life. When I think about my journey, when I started college, I started college at Georgia Tech, I had disconnected myself from those wrong relationships that were bringing me down, Uh, but I went into college and I didn't know anybody. 
I don't know if you've ever been there. You're, you just don't know anybody, and it was a lonely feeling. Um, but I knew I needed to connect myself with the right people. So at a secular university, I started looking for Christian organizations that I could be a part of because I didn't know what I would find, and I knew that those organizations weren't going to be perfect, but I knew that was a place to start. And what God was able to do with my step of faith was he was able to bring some of my greatest friends into my life. And these friends have shaped and molded me, and God has used them uh, to help me become who I am today. Um, So church is a good place to start looking for the right friends. But once we find them, what does healthy connection look like? What does it look like? We're going to look at three ingredients, um, and these are not the only three ingredients in a healthy relationship, but all three of these are present in every healthy relationship. And they are trust, transparency, and time. And right out of the gate, trust is a problem for many of us because life has taught us different, hasn't it? Life has taught us that the people in our lives that we're supposed to be trustworthy, we've experienced very real betrayal, very real abuse, very real abandonment. And so life has taught us, our circumstances have taught us not to trust people, but to distrust them right out of the gate. That we are to be suspicious of people because the people who were supposed to be trustworthy in our lives have wronged us. And I wanna say this as gently as I can, but our circumstances don't dictate our choice. Um, It's kind of like for me, um, I don't know if you've ever done this, I've sent a text message and I'm typing out the text message and I know the exact word that I wanna type and as I'm typing the right word, autocorrect that little guy kicks in and tries to autocorrect it to the wrong word. Have you ever done this? And then you end up sending a text that's totally non-coherent that doesn't make sense to anybody. Well, when that autocorrect pops up, there's a split second where I can X out the wrong word and continue typing the right word. And for many of us in our lives, our lives have taught us to distrust people, but we can X out the distrust and choose to trust And I need to say this because this is uh, an area where somebody could slip in. Trust doesn't mean everybody knows everything. It just means that I'm willing to take a step with a person. It doesn't mean that I'm unwise. It doesn't mean that when I enter into a new relationship that they get 100% of Andy on day one. It just means that I'm willing to take one step with them and then evaluate and then take another step and then evaluate, and then as the relationship grows, then we continue to walk in step with one another. Um, The reason trust is so important is because without trust, we don't get to ingredient number two, which is transparency. Because without trust, there is no transparency, and if we never get to transparency in our relationships, they stay superficial. James 5.16 says this, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And this verse challenges me because um, for many of us, we've trusted Jesus Christ as our savior. And as a result, we've been forgiven of our sins. But many of us are walking around with forgiven sins that haven't been healed because we haven't been willing to be vulnerable and transparent with anyone. We haven't been willing to let anyone see right through me and know me. And again, this doesn't mean that everybody knows everything But transparency means asking the question, does anyone know everything? 
Does anyone know everything? So we have trust and we have transparency, and the third ingredient of a healthy relationship is time. And for some of us, this is the problem because we live in a prime two-day shipping, gotta have it now, can binge watch everything on Netflix world, don't we? We don't have to wait for anything anymore. We don't have to wait. But the thing is, we can't rush a healthy friendship or a healthy relationship. Proverbs 12, 26 says this, the righteous or the right person chooses their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The right person chooses their friends carefully. They don't rush in, they take their time. And I, I like how the second half of this verse points to the way of the wicked, which leads them astray. The way that leads us astray is to rush into relationships, to not be careful in who we associate with. Um, and I think a lot of us uh, would say that there have been relationships that we never found out whether or not uh, there was potential for a great friendship there because we weren't willing to give it time. I've talked to so many people who they joined a group and then they quit because for whatever reason the group didn't meet their expectation or they didn't meet their best friend. And um, there are some valid reasons, um, but a lot of the people that I heard, I, I felt a little bit sad because what I heard was they weren't willing to give it time to develop. We need to understand that a healthy friendship grows through small, regular deposits over time, not large and frequent ones. This is what every financial advisor would tell you to do with your retirement account as well, that it's far better uh, to make small, regular deposits than large, infrequent ones. Um, did you know that you can kill a plant by overwatering it? I think a lot of us know that, but yet there's something inside of me when I go on vacation or uh, I have a busy week at work and we just forget to water our house plants. There's something inside of us that feels this need to apologize to the plant and then dump a gallon of water on it. But why won't that gallon of water do anything for the plant? It's because the plant was only designed to process so much water at a time. It was only designed to process so much water at a time. And we do this with relationships too, and this is something I am so guilty of. Um, I, I will blow off somebody's text message and not respond, or I'll miss their email because it got mixed in with the spam, and it was a friend from college, and I feel so guilty about it, and I feel shame about dropping the ball when they placed it in my court that I feel this need to uh, invite them on my next family vacation. You know, it's like, we haven't talked in a year, but why don't you come with my family and we're going on vacation? Like, I don't know if you've ever felt that, but we feel this need to go big or go home uh, to make up for what we feel like are our failings in relationships. But here's the reality. That won't make a good relationship. That won't make a good friendship. It's only the small, regular deposits over time. So we need to ask this question. If we find the right friends and we start to invest the right way with trust and transparency and time, what can my life look like? What can your life look like? Has anyone in the room ever had the chance to walk through a redwood grove in California? Anybody? A few people. It's, it's just magnificent. If you ever get the chance, go do it. I brought this picture because the scale is just staggering. Um, 
Those people are really small and that tree is really big. If you know anything about redwoods, they are literally the tallest trees in the world. Um, There's a redwood tree in California that's 379 feet tall, which is roughly as long as an NFL football field, uh, just for scale. Not only do they grow the tallest, but they also can grow up to 20 to 30 feet wide. And uh, many of us have seen the picture of the car parked inside the redwood. I mean, just staggering. They grow to be thousands of years old. But what is so special about redwoods is not their height or their width, uh, but it's how their roots work. Because for me, if I saw a tree that big, I would think that its roots went very deep, that they would have to go deep in order for that tree to withstand the storms that life and the weather throw at it. But they don't go that deep at all. Um, Actually, what their roots do is they go wide. Um, And the the root system of one redwood tree can cover up to an acre of land. And the reason that the redwood tree's roots go out wide is that it's looking for the other redwood trees in the grove. Um, And when it finds their roots, their roots lock with one another. So you have these literally massive trees, the tallest in the world, and they're holding one another up by their roots. Their roots are connected. And I share that story to say to you, What could your life look like? What could my life look like? I have no idea what your life looks like right now, but I can tell you we have no idea what God can do when we lock our roots with him and we lock our roots with the right people in our lives. We have no idea the growth that we can experience, the potential that God has placed inside each one of us, the heights that we can grow to, if we just locked our roots with the right things. So where do you find yourself today? Maybe there are some of us in the room that would say, Andy, I wanna be connected, I wanna grow. I understand everything that you said, but I look around my life and there's nobody. I don't see anyone. And for those of us in this boat, I just wanna encourage you to take a step like I did, standing on a secular college campus, not knowing anybody, to take a step and pursue healthy relationships in the right places. You have no idea what God can do when you take that step. So maybe getting in a group or serving on a team here at New Spring, taking a look around you at the people that you sit with each week in a service. I don't know what that step looks like for you, but I would just encourage you to take it because God honors when we take those steps of faith. Maybe there are others of us in, that, in this room that would say, God has blessed us with some really great relationships, but we still don't feel like we're growing the way that we should. And I've been there. I've spent long periods of my life asking myself the question, Andy, why aren't you better than you are? And for those of us in this boat, I would just challenge us to ask the question, have we locked our roots with anybody? Not do we have great people in our lives. Have we locked our roots with them? Have you trusted anybody? Have you trusted them enough to take steps with them? To be transparent with them? Have you made small, regular deposits in the lives of your friends? I have a really good friend who we roomed together for about two years in college. And um, he and I graduated college and went our separate ways. He was in the Air Force. He's, he and his family have lived all over the country. Um, I lived in Atlanta and now I live here. So we don't get to see each other uh, hardly ever anymore. Um, but our relationship has continued to grow through small, 
regular deposits. Things that um, you might think are nothing. We text pictures of our journals to one another um, so that we can see what God is teaching each of us. Um, And we study the same book of the Bible together and we'll try to talk as often as we can. And those seem like small, insignificant things, but they've allowed our relationship to grow, our friendship to develop over distance, um, regardless of the space. So I would encourage you, have you locked your roots with anybody? This is why I'm in a small group. Um, I meet uh, with seven to nine guys on Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. And uh, I don't do it because I like to get up early. And in fact, my wife is such a light sleeper that in order to go to small group, I sleep on the couch Wednesday nights, which I also hate. So I sleep on the couch Wednesday nights and I get up at 5 a.m. to go to a 6 a.m. group, not because... I love getting up that early or sleeping on the couch. I do it because I need to lock my roots with those seven to nine other guys. I need them to speak into my life to help hold me up when the things, the winds of circumstance start to batter me and start to try to knock me down. I need them to hold me up, to help me, to hold me accountable and to challenge me to continue growing. Groups are not perfect, but they help move us from disconnection to connection. So I would encourage you, if you're in that boat where you don't feel like you're growing, to ask the question, where are your roots right now? And there's maybe a third group of us in the room. And these are people that would say, Andy, before I can even talk about finding the right people, I need to get right with Jesus. Like the C.S. Lewis quote, I need to get first things first. And if you're in this boat, I want to circle all the way around to the story I shared at the beginning. Because when I was at the top of that mountain and I was scared... Um, truth be told, I wasn't crippled by my fear because I knew who was with me. My two brothers-in-law are excellent skiers and I knew that when I fell, because I knew I would, uh, that they would be right there behind me to help me get back up on my feet, get my skis locked in, get me dusted off and help me get back down the mountain. And here's the reality. Jesus is the friend that tackled the mountains we couldn't tackle on our own. Jesus is the good shepherd, he's the bread of life, he's the light of the world, he's all those things, but he's also the great friend. He's the friend that will never betray you. He will never abandon you. He will never abuse you. He will always be with you. When Jesus was teaching his disciples about what true love looked like, he said this, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And when he was teaching his disciples about what true love looked like, laying your life down for your friend, he was looking forward to the cross where he was gonna lay down his life for his friends. And the good news today is we are counted among his friends and that Jesus has his arms spread wide. He died on the cross and three days later rose from the grave and he offers us the opportunity of eternal friendship with him. And all we do is just trust him. So if you're in this boat today, I wanna say a prayer and these are not magic words, uh, but it's what matters is you from your heart speaking to God and his heart for you. So bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know there's nothing I can do uh, to fix myself, to pay back all the wrong things that I've done. I trust Jesus as my savior and Lord. I believe that he came, lived the life I couldn't live, died on the cross for my sake, and rose from the grave three days later. 
I trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. I place my life in his hands. I choose you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we want to partner with you. And so you can go to any info center and say, I prayed to receive Jesus. And we have a gift that we want to give you that will just help equip you. Thank you guys so much for being here. Come back next week for Healthy. Uh, God bless you guys.